Welcome back to Humans of Purpose, the weekly podcast featuring conversations with local purpose-driven leaders, leaders creating social impact through their work and fostering in a new era of social progress. We want you to listen, connect, and grow with us. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com. Culture is um, spawned not just from, you know, touted values, but it's genuine mental health within the team. Um, and our operations manager, and I think actually our whole team is very pro um, being self-aware and generally aware around mental health. And so um, that's where we're starting to think more carefully about what can our part be there. Welcome back to Humans of Purpose. We are proudly sponsored by Neon Treehouse. They are the go-to agency for any organization with digital needs. To learn more, just head to neontreehouse.com or hit the link in our show notes. Firstly, a quick thank you to all of you who let me know how much you enjoyed the episode with Dad last week for the 200th. It's always a pleasure hanging out with Dad, and I'm glad I could share his story with you. Today, I'm excited to bring you my conversation with Josh White, the CEO of Neon Treehouse. I'm also glad that our buddy, Marin Allen, Client Strategy Manager at Neon Treehouse, could also join us. I met Merrin and Josh here at the Commons a few months ago after I knocked on their glass door, walked into their office and introduced myself. I've been known to do this a fair bit with mixed results, but it went particularly well in this instance with Josh. When they welcomed me in, I knew I'd met kindred spirits in Josh and Merrin, natural people people. Since then, the relationship has blossomed, we've formed a purposeful partnership and we managed to do lunch at least once a week together. Neon Treehouse have made a world of difference to the Humans of Purpose digital and social media experience. They're an amazing organization and Josh's history and journey into entrepreneurship and startup success is really impressive and worthy humans of purpose story. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Josh as much as I did. So awesome to be here. Thank you for joining me so much, Josh. My pleasure. Thanks, Mike. Josh, uh, you know, it's it, we've been talking a long time. Uh, we've, we've formed this wonderful relationship with yourself and Merrin, who's also here with us. Say g'day, Merrin. So the team from Neon Treehouse has become the major sponsor and partner of Humans of Purpose, which is a huge honor, given the amazing work that you do. I do want to get into that, but I do like to hear a story. And I know you, I know you like to tell a story because I've spent a lot of time with you. Any, any years, any years, they're mine for the next you know, hour. Look, um, take me back to when you were three years old. No, no don't do that. Uh, just just take, take me back to the beginnings in Adelaide, uh, what you're thinking of doing, yeah. and uh, then continue on until the powerful empire you've created. Yeah, thank you. It all starts when I was three years old. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Actually, I, um, for someone who's been doing this for almost 10 years, I don't think I could keep my eyes on one career path for longer than like three months through school. I used to come home, well, it must have been every three months, and say, well, I want to be a policeman. I want to be an architect. I want to be a gas fitter. <laughs> like every, like Fireman? Any, Fireman perhaps? Yeah. Anything that essentially meant that I didn't have to finish school was like my basis for it. And then kicking and screaming and scratching to year 12, I actually ended up starting to enjoy it. <laughs> um, in my last year of uni, uh, I'd started up um, the business that's now the, now called Neon Treehouse was was called The Social Tree at the time. Social was pretty new. Um, as platforms, they were powerful and there was a couple of people, businesses, brands that were using them, but um, very different days to now. Like it wasn't pay to play. You could say one thing, everyone plus a thousand times more would see the message and get on board and engage with it, which which was pretty amazing. Um, but we were one of, in Adelaide, we were one of, you know, very, I think four or five different uh, social media businesses that even existed at the time. Um, what, what year would this have been for context? Uh, 2012. Mm. Yeah. So final year, final year uni. Yeah. Um, I mean, sort of the maturity of Facebook and the kind of beginnings of Instagram and whatnot, and these, some of these other platforms. Yeah, it was very much just Facebook and LinkedIn that had any legs in a business sense, but there was no uh, advertising dollars behind it, and we were essentially just doing work for people who had innovation budgets. So it could have been people from, um, you know, marketing managers for you know the big four in Southeast Asia who had a bit of innovation budget to give us to run a LinkedIn campaign. Or it was, you know, like what felt like a Canadian 
version of Bon Jovi who wanted someone to answer their tweets <laughs> at night. Like we've know. all been there. We've all had a client. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. we've all got a bon Canadian Jovi bon Jovi, from yeah. overseas. You know. <laughs> I love Bon Jovi. Just by the way, yeah, yeah, classic. And at the time, you know, Crows had uh, had the um, a couple of Bon Jovi songs uh, that were coming through. It's my life was big at the time, so you know, it felt classic. felt real. It felt real to be able to have like a quasi. The, ho- the horse just have Daryl Braithwaite uh, riding with the horse. That's all, that's all we've got. It's all we'll ever have. <laughs> so um, yeah. So I guess like um, from then it was early days. Not much going on. There was a, there was not many businesses were operating in the space, but not much appeal for it. Yeah. Um, and we just kind of rode this very very steady tide into it becoming a more intrinsic part of marketing. Um, we ran it as the social tree. Um. Uh, which I very shortly took over, probably a couple of months in um, after the the partner had gone MIA for a bit there, um, and and you know after that, um, you know as I was still trying to build, um, uh, I suppose a, a full time um, basis out of it, we had a, a, a couple of small campaigns that built us up to a team of um, I think seven or eight at the time, uh, but it was all short term sort of work, and there was periods where I'd gone back to work for um, other businesses for short periods. Um, working with social being a complementing piece of a bigger story or a bigger picture, um, which is pretty exciting. Um, after the um, kind of service side had, had tapered down a little bit, there was a real increase in the, the need for um, software relating to software, uh, software relating to social media, sorry. Yeah, right. Um, and it was an early market, you know, Hootsuite, which is an amazing tool now, mm. um, was very enterprise, very clunky. Very clunky. It was just a whole different world. Um, and so we'd actually developed, or we, I developed a prototype um, for a uh, social media software that could do anything from scheduling, advertising, everything that I was trying to offer our clients through the social tree. Um, ended up going going on to raise some money, two rounds of capital for that as, as initial seed rounds to build it, deploy it, bring it up to um, 600 users. Um, just kept trying to push, push, push to get um, uh, some some traction and scale. Um, whilst we were continuing to run the the consulting and agency side of the business. Um, however, you know, 165 million dollar uh, investment round for Hootsuite, and I think 50 mil US for Sprout. It's some numbers similar to that. Uh, later, and we realised that the traction that we were looking to generate to become a key market leader was uh, perhaps a bit further than arm's reach. So, uh, it was uh, back into, I suppose, the service space which we knew and loved, but um, with a different perspective on it all. You know, we'd seen the tech roadmaps that all these bigger players were looking to um, roll out over the coming years, and we can see that there was a space for social and digital emerging more than it had before. Um, and and it felt like the time was right, like the the um, consulting and agency side of the business was growing as well at that point. So we essentially shifted focus uh, back over to that side. Um, it's an exciting shift. Uh, one thing I am curious about is what's the difference between a social media marketing agency and a digital experience agency? Great question. Um, you know, as I thought for an answer, I thought I'd take a really long scuffle of the drink. <laughs> I thought that was a timely scuffle of beer. You know? Like, this is a tough question. I need a, I need a drink. <laughs> and now you've got a little snippet of gulp that you can use at the start of every answer. Perfect. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I suppose digital experience is, is more um, covering, you know, a full immersive experience outside of just, you know, the platforms of social media. You know, digital experience could be, um, you know, I, I look at, at, at the moment, there's kind of the Van Gogh, um, uh, you know, digital display um, exhibition that's going around at the moment. I think it's hitting um, Melbourne later on this year and it's in Adelaide at the moment. Um, it's like an impressionist kind of digital display. Um, and it's similar to um, there's a kind of similar experience in, in Japan where you kind of walk through these different rooms and everything's digital. You interact with things that you touch and um and it's all it's all very full digital it's like what you see it's what you touch it's what you hear very immersive very immersive mm. um and there's digital technology used to produce that 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 full experience but it could also go all the way down to you know a mcdonald's and you walk in and you're clicking through the the menu and shifting you know that digital experience away from you know talking to a, a real person and giving your order to you know a screen that can do the same job 
Um, and of course, there's other elements, you know, how, how immersive is your website and, you know, does that do everything for you? And, you know, the ComBank app and the digital experience being a part of how you interact with the bank, you know, moving completely away from a teller in most circumstances oh, yeah. just through the app. I can't remember the last time I dealt with somebody referred to as a teller. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think they've probably all got different names now. They probably don't exist anymore. Yeah. Both my banks are digital. I don't even know where I have to go to speak to someone. It's all online. Have you ever found that a challenge or it's generally pretty seamless? It's fine. Like I only ever, God forbid, a family member gives me a check. At which point I'm like, okay, Ozpost. I got a check recently <laughs> and I'm, I've been bugging out about what to do with it. Like, Ozpost. Where, yeah. Where, where, oh, you can go to Ozpost? You can go to Ozpost. Okay. I, I looked Solution. it up. I looked it up. You can go to the tellers there, take your ID and they check it for you. Yeah, this podcast is actually about Mike's financial situation. So <laughs> yeah. So you. break us yeah. down that a little bit, a little bit more. Yeah. So what are you doing with that check? Where's yeah, that going? Yeah. <laughs> I really took us down a track I did not want to go down. But, 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 I, but I think, I think you've given a really interesting answer there and actually through the humans of purpose onboarding experience to Neon Treehouse, I kind of started to realize that you guys are not just an agency that's going to like take what I do on Twitter or or LinkedIn or Facebook and just like regurgitate more of it and push mm. it out for it. Like it's very much about understanding the brand, uh, understanding the identity, the persona, um, really playing with concepts that relate to that and, and making it like seamless across the different platforms. Um, it's really interesting to me because as somebody who's not from that world and had other social media agency experiences before it's just like a different level of kind of um uh you're bringing people a lot closer to the brand and the experience yeah and i think um you know in being a social and digital agency like we are um where our service offering is related to you know helping people make good use and leverage these platforms um but also wanting to not be just uh you know we just focus on builders or we just focus on retail um, where you do start to see more in market, a bit of a churn on we've got a cookie cutter offering, which is just for retail. Everyone goes through the same process. We set up the same ads. We just interject different creative um, and, and that's that's how we focus on retail and that's how we focus on this one service. In trying to be a bit more agnostic on that sense, like we need to have a very, very open eye to your industry and to your product and how you're different and you know, looking at things in a different lens, you know, you could even see, for example, like in the volume builder game, you know, how do the uh, home renovators view their position in market um, when they are in some way or not directly or indirectly competing with volume builders, mm-hmm. you know, and how do volume builders look at who their competition are? Well, they, they often will say it's the next closest thing and the one who they're losing a lot of work to, but there's that indirect piece there around people who say, you know what, I'm actually happy just staying where I am. I'm just going to renovate and and extend on my current property and make that feel really amazing. So understanding the ins and outs of that um, takes a little bit more, I think. Well, I was going to ask, I mean, like, what's it been like working with a podcast? Because I, I don't know whether you've had a podcast as kind of like a partner or client before. <laughs> is that is it eye-opening every time you work with a different client who's in a different line of business or industry? I think it's the exciting part of what we do. Like sometimes it's sometimes people are coming to us saying, hey, I want to raise money on virtual or I want to do a Kickstarter um, Shout out to virtual, also commons uh, cohabitators with us. Yes, and and legends, <laughs> legends. <laughs> um, or it could be, you know, I want to, yeah, of course, like you know, generate sales or you know, build brand rep or um, you know, generate inquiries. Um, could be a step up, it could be trials, it could be downloading an ebook, it could be um, a public health message or like just a more general public message. There's lots of different stuff that uh, people approach us for, um, and, and I think that like. Part of my passion is just learning, you know, learning the space. Um, we've worked with businesses who've had podcasts before uh, and I've always found it really interesting, but working with a podcast where that is singularly Yeah, there's no the business offering. link to it, which is kind of like um, weird because I'm not sure if you know the history, but we – so I used to run a consultancy and it was linked to the podcast. Mm. So I tried to use the podcast as like a thought leadership arm of the consultancy, but then I just stopped consulting and I was like, this is great. I can just focus on podcasting, <laughs> which I love, and not try and sell any consulting, which was not working anyway the way yeah. I was doing it. <laughs> so it became yeah. more of a like a – I fell in love again in a way. Yeah, yeah. It's – um, you know, they often talk about uh, – 
there, there's some very important people to, to our business who've kind of helped and mentored me along the way who talk about, you know, do the work you love the way you want with the people you like, essentially. Ooh, that's nice. Yeah, and, and he just, uh, uh, so uh, his name's Rod Buicker. Um, so he's a um, yeah future focus uh, business coach and does does a bit of speaking as well and has this real great mentality around clarity um, clarity focus and and the way you work and I find that um, it didn't hit me initially like it's nice to hear it but you know as you kind of get on and 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 start doing more of the hands off stuff um, you start to realize the importance of really loving what you do because when I first started the business I was working on um, like my hands were really in the work, you know, and the general mentality is like, oh, you got to be careful, you know, don't grow too big too far. Otherwise, you won't be doing the stuff you really love. Yep. And the reality is for me, like I love people um, and I love stories and I love, um, I love business. And I think, you know, having the opportunity to meet you and, and work with this um, different offering and learning it and throwing yourself into it is exciting. Yeah, I really just imposed myself on you guys. <laughs> but it was you are, great. You are awesome. But I, I walked into your office, which is quite near my open desk. I was just like, we should do something together. I like <laughs> yeah. you guys. And you were like, that sounds great. Let's go out for lunch. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It, it was such a nice organic beginning and gave me the real sense that you guys are you're interested in people. Um, yeah. You're not just interested in business. You're interested in supporting people to kind of help them fulfill their ambitions and dreams. And I guess, you know, part of the digital ad side, I mean, Marion can probably vouch for this as well, like, you know, really in running ads, you are more a media buyer and a technician of ads than you are a creative person. So, you quickly find along the way that like it's not uh, like the way that digital and social is going, you can't just be passionate about the creative piece, you know, you can't just be passionate about the storytelling, you know, um, and Working with clients, um, you know, it's uh, even if you had the best clients and everyone was amazing and respected boundaries and all that sort of stuff, you've still got X amount of clients who may need X amount of things on uh, a single day and like managing priorities and managing people and all that sort of stuff. Like it's not a walk in the park. You've got to love it. Let's maybe jump down that swim lane because I am interested in the managing people side of things. You're now about 20 people at Neon Tree House. You've had a – Close to, yeah. Yeah, you've had an amazing journey. Um, And one of the, you know, challenges of recent times is how do you – and also just as an entrepreneur, how did you learn how to like recruit the right people, manage them well Mm. and create a great culture? Is that something that just like happens automatically or do you have to kind of do a lot of like learning? Yeah, no, no learning. I was just really good at it from the start. <laughs> no, Stupid think. questions. Set myself up for that ne- one. Ne- next one. Next, next question. <laughs> um, no, I would, say, um, I would say even if you are a natural born leader, you do need some time learning. But also like you could be a natural leader but be a leader from a vision standpoint because – no one is clearer on your vision and where you're going than you are. Or you could be a leader from a people perspective and you really know how to, um, you know, you can see the vision and you know that your job as that, you know, people leader is to help guide people there. And I guess like, you know, when you start thinking about what your role is as a leader and when you actually start becoming one, when, you first, when I first started, like, I mean, I was working myself and another guy and then, you know, that that finished and it was just myself. Um, after that, like you're not a leader. Like you could be a thought leader maybe. I mean, it wasn't really big enough as an industry to necessarily be one, but but maybe, maybe you could be one. Um, but I think uh, at that point you're not really a leader until you start having the task of leading and guiding. Um, so it's not apparent to you what you lack as a leader at the time and you could be great at having um, – a single employee or three employees, but that could also be just because you guys happen to get along well. Yeah. What happens when you don't as well or you're not the same? It's a very honest appraisal. Yeah. So, and I would say, you know, for me, um, I what I bring to the table is not every element of being a good leader and a good manager. Um, I really know what I know and I'm really passionate about it and I want what's best for our, for our customers and I want what's best for our team. Um, but I think really what helped us was me having support um, with someone being in a position inside the company 
to help on the actual people management side as well. Yep. Um, and you know, when you're younger, there's an expectation that, you know, when you're younger as a business, sorry, to be, to be, um, super <laughs> precise there, um, there is an expectation that you kind of do everything at the top. And only once you get to a certain size, do you need people managing people, you know, and they generally talk about it kind of being like that, that 10 size. So when you're, when you're 10, including yourself, at that point to reach, you know, 13, 14, 15 people, you probably need help on those 10. Um, we went from uh, nine uh, last July um, and, and losing, I guess, a, a key person at that point um, to, you know, uh, to now getting on to 17. Um, that's a big, you know, that's a big jump in a short amount of time plus add, you know, the pandemic over the top of that and, um, you know, I think, I think a lot, uh, is required of a business to lead people at that, at that point. And I think, you know, for me, it was a recognition that you need help in certain areas that require, um, that are required from a management side. Um, and so once we started getting to that place where I had that support, um, and, and we've got a great, you know, um, operations manager now, and she's now being supported by a operations executive to help on that front and really build up that support piece for our team. <laughs> uh, that wasn't me clearing my throat. That was uh, <laughs> um, Just take a little pause. Great. <laughs> um, so I, I guess um, you know, since we got an operations manager in and, and now looking to have an operations executive in, um, that's really taken a lot of pressure off of. Um, the requirements of the management team and has allowed us to all play to our strengths. Um, you know, Bianca in our operations manager role uh, is just really well suited to the role um, and her kind of empathy and her position around people and her familiarity with agency structure has made her just a, a beast in that particular position. It's been amazing. It's good to have a beast in your team. <laughs> A beast, a beast mode operator. I should say, if you're listening, Bianca, that's a compliment. <laughs> it's not. A... We all know that. <laughs> but I think you know, for me, um, what became more and more with this person who said, like, you know, do the stuff you love the way you want with the people you like. What I started realizing is like the technicality of what we did. That was not what I loved. And as we grew and the people part, um, I love the people who you know are in our team and. And the way that that um, that our culture has formed, and it's been organic, and it's been just as much a part of who comes in, and having a really diverse kind of boiling pot of perspective of who's coming in, but also obviously you know great talent in in what they do and their way of looking at digital and so on. That I that part for me is you know I, I live for that and what we can offer um, to clients with that talent. And we talk about bright and imaginative um, team and solutions. Um, that's what I love doing every day and, and that offer piece and talking with clients and working through the strategic component um, and, and positioning and changing the way that the company is structured to allow me to do more of that um, means that the business can continue to grow with me just being just as invested, you know, despite what people say. As, as you kind of grow, you get to a point where you often um, – you can end up essentially kind of promoting yourself to a point of mediocrity you know, where you end up like doing 80% stuff that you're not good at, but who else is going to do it? And 20% stuff that you really love and it kind of keeps you going, but not enough of that. So, yeah, to answer it, I think that's um, that's helped us get to a position where I could, you know, lead doing the stuff I love the way I want with, with the people I like from a customer point. You know, I love the people we work with. And I love the business we work with and the opportunity to work with yourself. You know, the organicness of how that came about, happening to be on the the same floor of the Commons, which just opened. I went over to look at offices um, in Melbourne because I've just moved over. Um, you know, um, early uh, sorry, late Jan. It wasn't even finished at the time. You know, so like as luck would have it, you know, they just so happened to say, "Hey, like we've got this new one opening up." You might want to have a look at it, but, yeah. but it's not open. Like, don't mind the dirt around, you know. <laughs> and we loved it, and you know, just yeah, it, it's uh, um, it's been great. So you've got an interesting setup because you've got um, a whole bunch of people in Adelaide, the bulk of your people, yeah. and you got just a couple in Melbourne. Mm. Um, so, how did you manage COVID? Uh, <laughs> and also, you know, any takeaways from how to sort of maintain a good culture and also the health of your team generally and performance in really trying times. Yeah, um, I mean, I guess just a bit of context as to why we're working the way we are. I think, you know, there, there's an old 
there's an old phrase, if you make something work in Adelaide, you can make it work anywhere. Um, and there's a, there's a different expectation, I think, of customer service and how you look after people in Adelaide. I think it really scales well, despite people in in like in essence and by um, by nature, people are scalable because you can't clone someone into an exact uh, match of a high performer. But the service piece, I think, is really something missing um, in a lot of other um, markets. So the goal for us as we grew it, um, both East Coast for Australia and and beyond, was to always have a people component of it, which is why we're looking at, you know, um, myself being, you know, often going back on, on a weekly basis at the moment, but being based here um, and, and hiring uh, Marin in an accounts role here and looking to grow that here whilst, whilst maintaining a base and a headquarters, I suppose, in Adelaide. Um, that's the, the rationale as to the team set up at the moment. I guess it's always been on our, on our list of where we're going to next and on our roadmap, but, um, COVID did throw, um, did throw a spanner in the works. So I was headed, I was almost over here more than I was in Adelaide at the time. Um, because, you know, the, the business growth opportunity that was here and then, you know, March hits and, you know, I think I got one of the last planes back. Um, you know, into the state before everything really started to sour across the board. And it's funny, like digital, there is an expectation that we can do everything wherever we want, you know, and, and actually was the case. So, you know, at the time when everything hit, we were, we were five people, you know, so or five or six people. And so it was right. Well, everyone can work from home. Like you're in a setup where you can, everything saves to drives online and there's no, um, there's no situation where you can't work. Um, we wanted to make sure that we were there for all of our clients. So it was calling everyone up saying, you know, what can we do? How can we help? You know, what do you need from us? Um, and that was met with, you know, we need to stop for now or we need to, you know, have ad- administrative costs or we need to, you know, we've been told we can't have meetings, you know, so we can't meet with you, but we need you to keep going but we're going to have to work this over email, which we know is frustrating, but that's how we're going to have to work it because, you know, we can't run meetings outside until, uh, you know, we've got more space and time to do that because they were making, you know, cuts and changes mm. and stuff internally. And I guess like that default piece is, oh, you can work anyway, can't you? That's fine. Mm. It's like it was the easiest part of, you know, the rigmarole of COVID, you know, like that part was easy and, you know, all of the all the platforms that we're working on are all online as well. You know, the paper trail for us is digital. So, you know, really it was all relatively native on the work side. The part that was tricky was in a business where you're trying to stay people focused, how do you how do you continue to stay in front of everyone, you know, from a client perspective? When they say, look, you know, I actually really need your help, I really need your support, we really rely on you guys, but I can't book in meetings to help you and you know, when you don't know really what's going on behind the scenes and and try to understand and empathize with their position um, from a client side, um, you lose you lose some connection there. Mm. Um, and and we were very fortunate in Adelaide um, that the you know lockdown time was was minimal. Um, and globally, you know, like the amount of time that we've spent, you know, locked away in our homes has been a lot less than you know what you've seen in in many other places, but. I think what you uh, something that what one of our one of our employees mentioned was like you know we're just surviving a pandemic that's what we're doing um, and you think about that regardless of where you are everything's different you know you've got loved ones all around Australia um, for for many people um, or you've got trips that you wanted to take or you've got um, you know ambitions goals things that you want to achieve or things that you wanted to do you know honeymoons weddings all that sort of stuff was put on put on the the burner the back burner for many people. So all of a sudden, you know, whilst there's security, I suppose, in the workpiece and very quickly it became apparent that, you know, we were in an industry that wasn't going to be going backwards. Uh, we were in an industry that people needed and relied on us more than anything. Um, you know, the moment that Home Builder comes out, all of a sudden our entire building construction industry needed, uh, of, of our clients, all of a sudden needed help getting the word out about that. Um, you know, job keeper, seeker sort of stuff, you know, depending on the audience that we're talking to, you know, that had ramifications around, oh, actually, we're going to change, you know, the way that we're working. We're going to do a bit more of this and a bit less of that. And, you know, that all had a difference and change. You know, it was right around the time when people were trying to finalise budgets for the next financial year that all of a sudden went back to square one. So the people side for what we were doing was quite um, quite heavy. Um, 
And so, even though there was that security piece in the team that like, okay, well, like, it's not like we're losing 50% of clients or things like that. It was, wow, I've got to do a lot for, you know, uh, to support my clients. Um, But there's that lack of contact with some of them um, and that lack of connection because you can't stick around on the phone too long and ask them how they are as much or you can try to, but, you know, maybe they don't have the time. Mm. Um, And, you know, for for big portions, you know, you can't connect with um, uh, your other team members because you can't go out and see them during those lockdown periods. Um, So everything just feels a little bit distant, I think, you know, when you're asking someone how they are over the phone. It feels very, it feels very diff, um, distance and, and different to, you know, being in the room and looking them in the eye. Um, and I think that, you know, that, that people first approach that we've been trying to take to you know, our unique selling point in market and the way that we look after the team and how do you grow and continue to be people first? I mean, that's like, you know, uh, that's a challenge in itself. Um, I think we're in a really great place now. I think um, it helps that, it's, that, that, that that's at the head of your mindset. So if you're thinking people first, you're already on the right page and probably a lot more likely to achieve that than if that's not even in your kind of mentality. Uh, yeah, and I, I guess the, the big summary piece is that I think now we're in a really good spot. But from when March 1st hit, you just, it's not like there's a textbook manual of what you've got to do when COVID hits, <laughs> yeah. you know. It's there should like, be. That would have been helpful. If, if everyone, if someone read it, some, some, I'm imagining some An like. An idiot's guide to <laughs> managing a global pandemic, COVID yeah. part one. <laughs> I'm imagining some sort of business tool, like watch the rest of this video, yeah, two yeah. minutes, you'll find out, but then you've got to sign up for the, <laughs> yeah, for yeah, the yeah. e-book and then the, the coaching course. But then yeah. there's never actually the checklist. There's no, there's no end yeah. product. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, I think, um, I think it was just keeping an open mind. Like you just don't know anything. You don't know what's around the corner. You needed to act as like, okay, this has happened. What does that mean? And what about what does our team think if we want to do this? You know, and for for Merrin as well, um, and and for myself, I, I you feel the um, the pinch of missing home um, and the pinch of missing the team because you know you've been working side by side with them for so long, and then you. In Melbourne, there was a small kind of circuit breaker when I first moved over. And so you start to notice, okay, well, this is happening. Um, you know, I wonder if it's just me who feels this. Um, and, you know, how do you deal with this stuff um, if we're wanting to keep everyone together and not create two separate teams, keep it unified? But what do we need to overcome in these times when we can't do this, can't do that, can't do that? Um, or maybe you can, but only as long as everything's okay and then all of a sudden the moment that you think you're going to be all all good, everything's, you know, torn up yeah. in front of you. There was a couple of times we tried to get Merrin back to Adelaide to do some time with the team um, and, it, and then it gets waived to a bit later and um, which is, you know, like ultimately, you know, we're not going to be the ones trying to skip skip the border and, you know, do the midnight, you know, full drive through rough terrain just to try <laughs> and skip the border. It wasn't about that. It was just, um, you know, how do you, how do you define what, doing the right thing looks like when everyone's got different opinions on what, what it should be and what it should look like. Yeah. Yeah. It's a crazy time. Uh, I am interested to touch on um, the shift towards being a more purpose-driven business and what it means to you to kind of think in a broader sense about uh, Neon Tree House's impact at a community level and, and kind of how does that look like as an evolution of your business? Yeah. Um, I'll bring – so I, I think when – we first started, the whole goal was like, does this even work? You know, it, I don't think for me, I'd love to say, you know, like when you're a, like a um, uh, at a level of, um, you know, the penthouse, helipad, flying different places, that you're like, <laughs> I, I, I did this whole thing out of ethical reasons. But at the end of the day, I like loved the idea and the concept of it. I was a young, dumb, you know, 20-year-old wanted to, you know, wanted to make a mark and and that's where, you know, I, I started out. And there's always this expectation that you've got to get to a certain point before you can give back. Um, and then I guess I looked at it a, a bit onwards from there and I started saying, well, it becomes more about, well, I want to make sure that, you know, my backyard is good first and that, like, I'm looking after everyone in the team and, and our clients and our product and, like, we're doing everything right in what we do before I start looking external to that. Um, But then um, after having some conversations with some kind of more longer standing businesses 
Um, I asked them, like, have you ever done, you know, like, have you ever, have you ever done like corporate social responsibility work or have you ever like kind of aligned yourself to, you know, something they're really passionate about that you wanted to give back to? And the answers were really like, they, they were quite diverse, you know, for, so for some people they've said like, I got into this space because that's what I wanted. Um, and everything was about, um, you know, being able to do more in, in that world, um, whatever charity or, or um, cause that they wanted to be involved in. And on the other side, you had not like, you know, my, um, me spending an extra 30 minutes or 40 minutes or hour and a half with a client, that's my, you know, that is my contribution, you know. Um, and I guess it just got me thinking to like, I don't think that there's a right time to start thinking about that, that purpose piece and like how you are, what is your imprint, not mm. just your legacy, like what, not, not just what are you, you know, um, making a mark on in the world, but, you know, that imprint on, on, you know, what tread are you leaving along the way? Well, I think um, it's really interesting to see you embark on that process. And I think you've already done that with the terrific uh, highlighting of um, South Start because South Start was where you came up and you, you're a big promoter of South Start online and you do an amazing <laughs> job at talking about them. And also um, I really like how you champion Adelaide as well. Just like I know it's not, you know, necessarily like a charity or whatever. It's obviously yeah. like its own state and it's not a charity case. It's a, it's a great city. Let that just be on record that Mike thinks Adelaide <laughs> is a charity case. Um, we'll, we'll keep it in the rules um, if we ever need to like stage your name yeah. like down the track. Yeah, God, I'm going to be hated by all that. Adelaide. <laughs> I apologise wholeheartedly to our Adelaide listeners. Taken no. out of context, what, no, I meant, no, no, no. what I meant was South Start obviously and Adelaide are two things you're very passionate about. Is yeah. that okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just happy as a Tasmanian that somewhere <laughs> other than Tasmania is getting roasted. Well, I, I think um, – and, like, look, Mary and I had bonded over being um, two people in, in a city, you know, that wasn't ultimately home um, and being, you know, born, raised and shamelessly um, – uh, a volunteer ambassador for the place that you're from. Yep. Um, and so for me, you know, I'll I'll always be passionate about it. I you're like a pearl of South Australia. I've seen <laughs> you, I've seen your LinkedIn feed, and it's like Adelaide's awesome. <laughs> Look, it's up. been a good year to be able to share content <laughs> yeah. about it. You know, with the Liverpool City stuff. But but I guess for me, you know, South Star as a community, um, and now event was really where I, you know, um, I really uh, carved out what I wanted to do and the support network there and so on, which is why it has a very, you know, um, soft, secure place in my in my heart. Um, and same with Adelaide. Like I think the, the business values that I learned there that I've carried forward is, is not just a, the people I know thing, but it's intrinsically Adelaide. Yeah. Um, but uh, and, and some of the stuff that I wanted to scale over here. But I guess, you know, from that purpose-driven part, I think a lot of it comes from, you know, that South Start uh, mindset of, you know, being um, purposeful and, and bringing people who are like-minded and purpose-driven together um, and, you know, the engagement of the crowd there uh, and the ideas that spark uh, and form there is amazing. Mm. And and it's just funny, like if you're born, raised, bred um, and, uh, and working amongst a group of people who... CSR and, and, and giving back is not on the list, then it will never be on your list. And if that's all that's on the list at the time and no one ever talks about anything other than giving back, I think that you would naturally be more geared toward doing things where there's a direct impact um, back into the community. Um, and, you know, I think unshamelessly, like I, I kind of maybe started indifferent and started to learn that I wanted to do something where I could leave a mark on more than just our clients and our people, mm. um, which is where our journey now has got to a point where we say, and and since meeting yourself, of course, has been, you know, um, feels like a bit of a message from the world, I guess, of like you definitely, know, this is uh, our God, time. God dropped me down from the heavens and was like, um, <laughs> Neon Treehouse might need a full purpose ambassador, so here I am. <laughs> Let's <Yeah>. have coffee. <laughs> and it's been great to talk about, like you know, we talk about. Um, um, you know, the uh, B Corp certification and, and you know, like a, a lot of things that have cropped up um, for us is like, oh, well, could we do this? You know, could we do that? Like we're a, we're a um, conscious sponsor for, um, for South Start and, you know, I can't imagine ever getting paid for that work. Like I, I love it too much and, you know, what the opportunity that it gives back to the community and that it's given me so far, like that's that's where I want to contribute time to. 
Um, so, so like, you know, South Start, Humans of Purpose, you're doing amazing things. What, what do you feel is like the next thing? Is it B Corp or is it something else? Yeah, I, um, we're, we're working through that at the moment. Um, one thing that has been very clear to me over the last 18 months, which is I think when I've done more learning as a leader than any other time, or when all the learnings that I had learnt and been told about previously really started to become clear, um, is that, you know, culture is um, spawned not just from, you know, touted values, but it's genuine mental health within the team. Um, and our operations manager, and I think actually our whole team is very pro um, being self-aware and generally aware around mental health. And so, um, that's where we're starting to think more carefully about what can our part be there. It's an interesting one as well, working with social and digital platforms that have been, you know, um, uh, I guess mentioned time and time again to be in part um, against uh, and, and not in um, in good light for mental health and, and the components yep. associated with that. But these devices and the way that we operate with the internet is not ultimately changing and there's lots of positivity spawned from, you know, the utility of these platforms. For sure. So I think that in us helping businesses commercialise, we actually have a duty to the world to uh, also facilitate the other side, which is that mental health oh, piece. 100%. That's really interesting, actually, that you said that. I think that's a area everyone needs to do more in. Um, you mentioned platforms. I'm really curious as somebody who's not great in this space. I'm pretty much a solo LinkedIn plotter. Um, but what's coming next? And I mean, I feel a little bit like Twitter is kind of fading a bit. I think Facebook's losing a bit of relevance. Um, I think Instagram is still strong. Mm. Um, what's on the horizon and what, what, what do you kind of see happening in the space? I think ultimately platforms that don't have real utility will never last longer than, I suppose, their time in the sun. Mm. Um, when there is a real utility, which often comes just purely from the attention um, that they that they draw, um, those are the businesses and the platforms that I think are going to survive, you know, well beyond, you know, the age of Facebook is what you'd probably fairly call it at the moment. Um, in saying that, I guess the question's better answered um, depending on who you're talking about. Like, you know, if you're talking about, um, from a consumer side uh, or just from a general phone user side, like what's going to be more, uh, what's going to be big in the future, um, you know, things rise and fall very quickly um, with popularity. But we are still, you know, as a business growing with with um, brands and, and companies who have just set up a Facebook page, you know, and not because they've just started, like they were, they've been around for 20 years, mm. but they've, they've just set up the Facebook page or they've just set up the LinkedIn page. Um, Pinterest has been around for a very, very, very long time um, in consideration for its position as an alternative, almost not even a social media platform, but a, dis- a discovery platform, um, which is now kind of hitting the radars of a lot of our customers from an advertising perspective. So um, from a commercialization sense, I think a lot of um, – uh, a lot of businesses are still stuck in, not for a bad any bad reason, probably partly dependency, part, partly also it's um, direct measure to growth and outcomes for these businesses, but very stuck with the Facebook network um, plus maybe a couple of others. So Facebook, Instagram is that network mm. plus maybe LinkedIn and, and they stick to what they know and there's also a lot of opportunity there still for them well into the future. What about like um, WhatsApp and TikTok? Is WhatsApp? I feel like you know. I can just only speak from my own experience, but myself and a lot of my friends spend a lot of time on WhatsApp. Mm. I think a lot of us don't spend a lot of time actually on social media inverted commas mm. um, sites. Yeah, I, I think people often talk about like oh, I don't have Facebook anymore. Oh, really? Because we're like we're, we're like currently talking, you know, as they're like yeah, <laughs> literally yeah, yeah. texting in Facebook Messenger. Like, yeah. what do you mean you don't have Facebook? Oh, yeah, yeah. I've got Facebook Messenger, but I've it's deleted also just Facebook. Like really cool to say you don't have Facebook anymore. Like, yeah, yeah. Really, you know, like a, a progressive thing to say. Yeah, yeah. It's also really inconvenient when people are like, "No, I'm too cool for Facebook." It's like, how am I going to invite you to the event? How can I locate you? Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. How do, how do I just? Get around you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so so direct message platforms like that, but that's been a long 
growth piece. Like Line um, as a messenger platform, you know, across Asia has been growing very, very quickly. Um, but is it replacing or is it just genuinely growing because people are shifting from, you know, wanting to share and interact with each other and share stuff that they're finding from their greater world, you know, on the platform? It's more of a direct message piece. Um, WhatsApp's the same, you know, WeChat's the same in, in, in many of those respects. Like it is replacing and becoming um, uh, like the space where people are more connecting on that front. Like people aren't, you know, necessarily wishing happy birthday because Facebook told them it's your birthday. Yeah. You know, that like that's all still happening. Like Facebook's dropped down. I, I believe that they're, um, the stat now is about one, on average, users post one thing a month. That's fascinating. Like, and, and so, but they're not using phones more than ever and for more things than ever. Um, and, you know, the utility of online and phones and so on um, in the age of COVID uh, and all these businesses growing in terms of, you know, subscriptions and sales and so on. Like people aren't afraid of using their phone. They're not, they're not using it less. Yet one of the biggest platforms in terms of, you know, market saturation is only getting one post on average a month per user. Yeah, it's wild. I, I have really noticed that drop off, but I'm also not sure whether that's a legitimate drop off or it's just a lack of monetization of content is causing it to look far less popular. Well, I guess like a lot of people who are using social always were naturally observational anyway. Yeah. Like, you know, for me, I, I spend a lot of time consuming but not creating, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. for myself. Like, I mean, LinkedIn's a bit different, you know, from a uh, from yeah. a work perspective. I do more there. But, you know, I love TikTok. I just get around all of it. You like TikTok? <laughs> I love TikTok so much. Well, what's what's good about TikTok? Um, well, I really like plants. Um, so a lot of plant videos. But I think just like the fact that it's like, quick, fast, it, the algorithm, like I know a lot of people are against the algorithm, but you're getting videos that you want to watch. Um, it just seems so it's engaging. It's, it's it engaging. just seems so engaging. Like I, I, I can't. I have to stay away from stuff like that. <laughs> My addictive personality renders me uh, defenseless against these platforms. <laughs> but like, yeah, I feel it's that. It's good. It gets you through the monotonous like time that was 2020, especially as someone who was going through 2020 in Melbourne. Great point. Like it gives you something. It gives you that dopamine hit. Escapism. It's a bit of fun. Escapism. Mm. Through and through. <laughs> I used every outlet of escapism I could last year. I really like that answer because I think that's often overlooked in people always talk about how bad social media is for you and for your mental health. But really, I mean, if I think about how I use it, I also use it as an escape and we should embrace that more. Mm. You know, we should lean a- into that. There's a level of self-awareness that comes with being able to say that, though. Yeah. I think, like, exactly. if you're not self-aware, like, I we talked about it earlier about, like, mental health. Like, I'm very self-aware. I know what my bad coping mechanisms are. I know where I'm going to self-sabotage. And, like, if I'm going, okay, this is the thing that's going to get me through this day, then it's okay. And I, th- I think it's also, like, being conscious of doom scrolling and what's making you unhappy versus what's distracting you and giving you escape. Yeah. Yeah. I-, I think that's actually what I love about TikTok. Like it moves away from, you know, because I don't have a big group of friends who are creating content on TikTok. So, you know, when you're scrolling through Instagram, you know, that sense of everyone's out doing fun stuff but me on this one moment where I've like spent time like to myself and not, you know, not um, out there. Exactly right. It's that FOMO piece. But on, on TikTok, you're not like engaging and observing content you know, from the same sort of people. I think actually, you know, for me, from an, from an algorithm perspective, I feel like it's quite diverse. Um, I'm seeing a lot of stuff that I wouldn't usually see, a lot of stuff that I do like and then introducing me to, you know, um, to accounts where, um, you know, they've never posted anything before, which which I love. I love that sense of like it's genuinely something new, but but it becomes more a form of escapism than what Instagram offers because that's, you know, become a moments in time and a connection to friends. Yeah. Um, you know, Facebook is more of a, you know, what actually feels sometimes to me more like a news outlet and public service announcement and, you know, uh, keeping the, keeping the um, uh, aunties and uncles in, in check with life sort of, sort of platform. Instagram's become where the friends are. TikTok and other platforms like that, like Pinterest as well and that sort of thing, like it becomes more exploratory and genuinely escapism because you move away from, oh, well, oh, oh, they're doing that. I wish I was doing that. Oh, I didn't know that they did that and I want to do that. Yeah. Um, in the same way that like, you know, I'll, I'll binge a show and, and just love it. Like, you know, when Stranger Things came out, I was all amongst that 
um, at the time. I just finished watching Vincenzo, which is like a Korean drama. Ooh, I'm uh, interested in that. I love South Korean stuff. Uh, do it. It, it, it will honestly. Why just... has it got an Italian name for a South Korean series? Uh, you'll have to watch it and find out. You bang, will. Bang, Marin just starts. <laughs> Thank you. Because I was about to talk about it for an hour, which Marin knows. Marin knows that was yeah, going to happen. Yeah, that's a great save. Thank I've, you, Marin. I've had the steal. <laughs> but, it's, yeah. It's like uh, my dad it just raves about everything. He's like, son, I've got to tell you about this show. Like, this is going to take at least 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, can I call you on my lunch break? Oh, sorry, I missed you. I'll, you know, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll call, call you at night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Classic. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you're at a good size now. You're obviously very happy with the way things are going. You've got the purpose element building in the business. You have a fantastic team. You've made it through COVID more or less or what's happened with COVID so far. Yeah. What are your kind of goals for the future and where do you want to be in you know a year or two? Yeah, I guess um, the more I uh, enjoy what we're doing and, and, and what I'm doing and my involvement and impact on that, um, the more that I sense – that it's a long game piece for me. So, you know, you look at a lot of different, um, uh, particularly in startup world where it becomes like this quick scale piece, you know, they've done one to two, you know, series A, B, C and so on each, each year, big rounds, big changes, you know, for us, we've reached a really good point where we are now and I'm really loving it. And, um, I, I think the team's got, got a real sense of community that's growing there as well. And the culture feels great. Um, I guess for me, I want to look at more um, more growth of that. Um, you know, our goal short term is is looking to grow our, our Melbourne team um, a bit more and really establish ourselves um, as a as a heavy hitter on the east coast and kind of bring more of what we're doing. You know, from Adelaide across. Um, and yeah, I think that's really where the outlook is at the moment, as opposed to. You know, in in the next two years, we want to get to a hundred people. You know, like in the size that we are now and what we're offering now. Um, I'd rather, you know, and, and our goal essentially is to get ourselves to, you know, a team of kind of, you know, twenty five, thirty in the next couple of years, you know, next two or three or four years. But in a in a place where we've grown at, at a rate which it just feels so organic, um, and it genuinely becomes like we've got a couple more mates joining us in the treehouse. You know. Not literally in the sense of like everyone has to be friends and work inside and out, but more. Do you, do you call it the treehouse? We call it the treehouse. Very cool. Our our culture is built around the like you know kids in the treehouse, kids in the cubby house, you know, and, and that inspiration piece around like being there to you know create and explore and be curious and, and that sort of thing, and so maybe interjecting mates in the treehouse with like a couple more you know um, kids from the block. I love it. Absolutely love it. Josh and Meryn, this has been a treat for me. Thank you so much for stopping by. Um, where, where can people connect with you and learn more about your work? Yeah, uh, thanks, Mike. Um, can definitely connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, feel, feel, feel very free to, to do that. Um, I'm just, uh, I'm just Joshua White on there, I think, just the, the formal name. Um, but you can catch us as a business, um, neontreehouse.com, uh, which is Neon Treehouse on, um, on Instagram and Neon Treehouse on Facebook as well. But really, you know, most of, uh, the life shines through on the Instagram page and, and, and most of the individual team members, you know, kind of come through on LinkedIn. So I think that's where, where I'd start. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been a real treat. Thanks, Mike. Awesome. Thanks. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player or the link in today's episode notes. Why not share the podcast with your networks? After all, 62% of our subscribers come from word-of-mouth recommendations and social shares. You could also leave us a five-star review and some kind words in the iTunes store. If you love what we do each week and want to support the show, you should join our growing community of Patreon supporters or consider becoming a show sponsor. To learn more about all of that, just head to humansofpurpose.com. 